0: Well, I have enjoyed being with your church family today. I think I'm on. Do I have power? I hope we've got Holy Ghost power, but if I have a little more power up here, that'd be good. I have enjoyed being here today, and uh, I, I thank the Lord for the heritage God has given you in this church. I've thoroughly enjoyed getting acquainted with Brother Prater and uh, talking with him. He reminds me in so many ways of my dad, who's been a faithful pastor for many years, and uh, now to see what the Lord has done and uh, raising up the pastor you have now, preparing him, preparing you, uh, wedding the two together, I just think, honestly, it's, it's so tremendously encouraging. And I'm in a lot of churches, but I want you to know that your church has a tremendous opportunity to make a difference for the Lord. Now, you are making a difference, but I believe this. I believe the most fruitful days in this church God wants to be the days that lie ahead. What you see and sense now in the place, this could be all there is. That's possible. When people get content and they say, well, you know, we're, we're, we're there, then that's all that ever happens. And this is, this is where you die. Or this could be the foundation that everything else builds on to reach many more for the cause of Jesus Christ. I'm praying the latter for you. And uh, I, I want to ask you to do one thing for me, for my family. I want to ask you to pray for us. We need your prayers and the work God has called us to. And maybe I'll give a more personal word about that at the end of the meeting. But let's get to the Word of God, shall we? I want you to open your Bible with me again to the book of Hebrews, to Hebrews chapter number 12. And uh, really, we're just touching the hem of the garment here. We, we haven't scratched the surface And I want to encourage you to do something this week. I don't know where you are in your devotional reading of the Bible, but I would challenge you to spend a little time in Hebrews 12 this week. I think it will do your heart good. And pray your way through the chapter and begin right here where we've been studying today and say, Lord, teach me. Speak to me. This is a prayer God will answer. Let's read again Hebrews 12, beginning in verse number 1. The writer of Hebrews says, Wherefore, seeing we also... That's an interesting word, that also. We're in the also. People talk about the people in Hebrews 11, and they almost put the people in Hebrews 11 on some pedestal. Listen to me. There's only one person on a pedestal, and that's Christ. The people in Hebrews 11 are just examples of faith in God But we get in on that. In fact, the end of the previous chapter says that God provided a better thing, that they're not going to be made perfect till we get there. In other words, watch this, please. We all are together in this because we've all put our faith in the same person. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you see in verse number 1 there's a race set before you, and in verse 2 there was a joy set before him. It's a personal thing. There's a path that Christ had to walk. There's a path that God has chosen for you to walk. You don't get to choose all of that. You don't get to pick the twists and turns on the journey. And right now, if you're wondering, what is God up to? Just rest in this. The Lord is the one who sets the course. When you come to verse number three, I just love this word for consider him. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Let's take a survey. How many of you ever get weary and faint up here? Would you raise your hand? Now, yeah, join the club. How do you keep from growing weary? How do you keep from fainting? How do you keep from giving it up? Look at the first part of the verse. You consider him. That word consider literally means concentrate. It's a word of concentration. In fact, this is this is not part of the message. Forgive me. Just give me 60 seconds. How many of you give me 60 seconds? Would you raise your hand? Good. That's at least 30 minutes right there. So go back just a few pages to Hebrews chapter 3 and mark this in your Bible. Look at Hebrews 3 verse 1. Wherefore, sound familiar? Holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. What's the next word, Church. Circle it in your Bible. Same word. Consider. And who are we to consider? It's not a what, it's a who. Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. That sounds a lot like what we're reading in Hebrews 12, doesn't it? The one who's seated at the right hand of the Father. He is the apostle. That's the one sent from God to us. And he's the high priest. That's the one who goes on our behalf to God. Aren't you glad the Lord Jesus is the one who makes the connection both ways? And we're to concentrate on him. We're to think on him. Selah, pause, stop. Think about this for a moment. Think how great your Christ is. You may feel terribly weak and weary at this moment. You you may be dismayed and disappointed by circumstances. You may be puzzled and perplexed by the world around you. But look to the Lord Jesus and consider him. That's where we left off in our study, but go back with me to Hebrews 12, and let me show you what we've come to tonight. We began this Lord's Day at the beginning of verse 1 by listening to the witnesses. And I hope you'll listen more and more to these great witnesses of the faith. And then we came in verse 2 to looking into Jesus, getting our eyes, our attention fixed on Christ, but sandwiched between the two. Help us now, Lord, because this is where the rubber meets the road. See, everybody's content for you to preach about other people. Just don't mess with my weights and sins. And they're even okay with you talking about Christ. I mean, they expect you to preach on Jesus in church. Just don't get on my weights and sins. It's interesting, but but when you you consider the witnesses, that takes you back, back to history, back to these great Bible characters. When, When you consider Christ, that makes you look up. And not just up, look ahead, because he's at the finish line with nail-pierced hands outstretched and arms open wide waiting to receive you. When you start dealing with laying aside weights and sins, it makes you look within. It's hard. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. There are two expressions that begin the same way in this verse. Would you mark them in your Bible? In verse number one, there is, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And then the second one, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. This This is a frequent expression used throughout the book of Hebrews. There's a lot of let us's in Hebrews. Let us consider one another. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. By the way, I'm sure glad you all kept that one tonight on this Lord's Day evening. I'm glad to be in a church where they still believe not just one hour on Sunday is the Lord's Day, but all day is the Lord's Day. But now we come to two more of these let us's, and notice the divine order It doesn't begin by saying, let us run with patience the race set before us. It begins by saying, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Do you know why that is? Because, watch please, God, a God of divine order, he does all things decently and in order, basically is showing us that you can't keep the second if you won't keep the first. Then it's significant that it would use this expression, let us. That includes all of us. Even the writer of Hebrews is included in that. Even the preacher is included in that. And by the way, it's deeply personal. It implies that no one else can do this for you. You must do this yourself. There's a decision to make. There is a command to obey. There is a deliberate, definite action on the part of every Christian that decides, I am going to do whatever God tells me to do so that I can finish my course with joy. I changed my life verse about a year and a half ago. I don't know if you're supposed to do that or not, but I did. How many of you have a life verse? Oh, that's good. On the count of three, shout out the reference. One, two, three. That's good. That's a great verse, whatever you said. It's great. It comes from the Bible. It's very good. My new life verse is Acts 20, 24. Standing at this juncture of my life, I said to the men this week, I'm thinking more now not about how I started as a kid preacher, but I'm starting to think more about how will I finish and standing and what people would think is the midpoint of life only God knows that could be at the end of it i took acts 2024 20, as my as my second half verse it says this but none of these things move me neither count I my life dear unto myself so that i might finish my course here it is wait for it with joy and the ministry, which I have received with the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Notice the divine order again. He doesn't say, I want to finish my ministry first. He says, I want to finish my course first. Do you know why that is? Your course is your life, and the only way you can finish your ministry or your work right is you've got to finish your life right. And I must tell you that even as I stand before you tonight, I am praying, and I want you to pray. Dear Lord, help us all finish our course with joy. How would you like to finish? Like if you could pick it, how would you like to finish? David Livingston died on his knees. That's a pretty good way to go to heaven. Middle of the night, his servant came in checking on him, couldn't find him, lit a lamp and found him down on his knees on the other side of the bed with his hands clasped, and he watched him for a minute, and he thought he was in prayer, and then he realized his lips weren't moving, he wasn't breathing. He'd gone to heaven on his knees. (laughs) That's quite a way to go right there. Can you imagine getting to heaven and saying, Lord, I was just talking to you a moment ago. V. Raymond Edmond, who wrote one of my favorite books, They Found the Secret. He was the last really strong president at Wheaton College. He died in the chapel service preaching. For a preacher, that's the way to go. Not for the congregation, but for the preacher, it's a pretty good way to go. He literally was talking about seeing the Lord. Can you imagine? And he fell over and was dead before he hit the carpet. But look, the circumstances of your death, the timing of your death, uh, the, the, the means of all of that, that's all in God's hands. But I want you to know how you finish your course, spiritually speaking, that is up to you. You get to choose the next step and the next and the next, if you will obey God or if you will not. And so tonight I'm speaking to you on this little subject of laying aside weights and sins. And... Let me just tell you, we all have them. Everybody has them. And if you're saying right now, I hope she gets right with God tonight, I'm glad he's here. He really needs this sermon. I want you to know you've already missed the point. How many of you are saved? Then you have weights and sins. You're in the race, and the greatest obstacle you have, wait for it, is not something coming at you. It's something in you. The greatest hindrance I have is Scott Pauley. Lester Roloff used to say the first thing he did every morning when he got up was jump in the grave. He meant by that the first thing he had to do every day was die to self because if he did not, he would hinder himself from being the obedient Christian that day that God wanted him to be. And it's fascinating to me where this little expression is found in the context of our study. Notice it's connected to all the witnesses. Look, you're circled by all the witnesses. So take a look around the circle just a second. Everybody, look around the circle of all the witnesses of the faith. You know what they all testify to? They all testify to God's faithfulness, but they also testify to the fact that they, at some point on their journey, failed the Lord themselves. See, we only talk about the good things. As you start reading through, and Abraham failed the Lord. Oh, yes, he did. And Noah failed the Lord. And every one of these people in Hebrews 11, not, not one of them is a perfect person. We all have our great failures. You know what the greatest failure is? We like to classify sin, don't we? Somebody says, oh, now that's sin, that's sin. I'll tell you the greatest failure It's a failure of faith. Not just, not just in someone not being saved, being an unbeliever, but do you remember what Jesus said to Simon Peter? He said, I prayed for you. I prayed for you. the devil wants to have you to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you that by what? Faith fail not. Let me ask you a question. Did Peter curse and swear and deny Jesus, yes or no? He did. And yet I believe Jesus got his prayer answered because Peter still had his faith in Christ. He still had his faith in God. Watch this, please. As long as you can keep your eyes on the Lord, God can help you work through all the other weights and sins. As long as your eyes are fixed on Christ, Christ is greater than every other failure. The only sin that cannot be conquered in your life is the one you refuse to trust God to conquer. That's the only sin. And i tell you what we do, we sit around and we, we compare ourselves with each other and we say, well, you know, I'm not as bad as they are. The Bible talks about that, comparing ourselves by ourselves is not wise. And then we start making excuses. People say, well, you know, preacher, you know, preacher, that's just the way I am. Well, that doesn't mean it's the way you're supposed to be. And the way you are, for the record, is your sin nature, your old Adam nature that lost nature that wants its own way, that rebel heart, we must stop excusing it, stop blaming others, stop hiding it, stop denying it, and we must say, Dear Lord, I have weights and sins, and I want you to help me deal with them so I can run this race you set before me. You cannot pick up a crown at the end of the race if you don't lay the weights down now. Everybody wants to get to glory and pick up the crowns. By the way, I don't think we're going to hold them long. I think very quickly we're going to throw them back at the feet of Jesus. He's the only one really worthy of a crown. But I tell you, there is no reward to the runner that lives his life with weights and sins that he knows consciously should be confessed and forsaken and yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not only connected to the witnesses, but these weights and sins, I love this, are connected to Christ. Oh, this is wonderful. How are you going to get victory over your sin? Not by looking at your sin. Somebody said, I'm going to concentrate real hard on on whipping this. No, you're not. You're not going to whip it like that. I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. You're going to fail again, and the accuser of the brethren is going to come back and whisper in your ear and say, see, I told you you couldn't win it. I told you you could never conquer this. You might as well just settle for the fact you're not going to win over this area of your life. Can I just remind you the devil's a liar and the father of it? Stop listening to the accuser of the brethren and consider Christ. Only by looking to the greater one can you conquer the lesser things. So, would you like to have victory over the weights and sins? Then you must look to Jesus. You see, it's all connected. It's all connected. Let me give you some simple thoughts tonight. I'd like you to write them down somewhere, would you please? Let's ask and answer a few questions about this laying aside weights and sins. Number one, just very simple. Number one, what are we to lay aside? That's the most obvious question. What? What is that? The Bible calls it here weights and sins. There's a difference between weights and sins. There are some things that are not sinful, and yet they are weights. They're not best. They're not bad, but they're not best. they are hindrances to forward progress and spiritual momentum. And let me tell you something I've learned. I've learned that very often the weights lead to sins. Watch this, please. If you have a weak area of your life and you know that's a weak area and then you live just as close to that line as you possibly can because, you know, it's not sinful and the Bible doesn't say anything about it and I think I'm going to be all right, I want you to know you're setting yourself up for a fall. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. Look, deal with the weights and God will keep you from the sin. We like to pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We want to ask God to deliver us from the sin, but we're not willing to give it up. You're asking God to take something from you that you're still clutching tightly in your hand. He'll take it from you, but only when you yield it to him. So what is it we're supposed to to yield, to lay aside? First, it's the weights, and then it's the sins. Notice the expression, that easily beset us. My besetting sin, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's not yours. And your besetting sin is not mine. We're all different. We all have our own race to run, and we all have our own besetting sin. You know what I discovered in most people that I've counseled with? Most people, their besetting sin started in their youth. Sins of a lifetime begin in youth. A little seed is sown, a thought is, and experience something, and it becomes the thing that all of their life they struggle with and they deal with. It is literally the thing that just keeps getting you off course. By the way, if you're waiting on me to preach on your sin tonight, you're going to be waiting a long time. Because I have no intention, unless prompted of the Holy Spirit of God, to get into some long list and litany of things and give you some alphabetized list of all the things you're supposed to lay aside. And do you know why? I'm not the one that's supposed to tell you what that is. The Holy Spirit of truth is telling you right now. What's the thing God's brought to your mind? For some people in this room, it is some terrible thing that needs to be confessed and reconciliation made and things dealt with. For some people in this room, it's not some awful thing you've been doing. It is some good thing that you've neglected. I don't know what your weights and your sins are, but God knows and you know and you must decide what you're going to do about it. Let's take a journey just for a second. Stay with me a second. Go back with me to the book of Ephesians, would you please? Please. I'll show you something interesting. Go to Ephesians chapter number 4. Mark this in your Bible. Ephesians 4 and verse number 22 says, Paul writing to the believers in Ephesus, I love this, verse 22, that ye put off. Concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Put it off. It's another way of saying lay it aside. Look at verse number 24. Here's the positive side. And that ye, what, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Literally, look here just a second. It's like changing clothes. He says take one coat off, put another one on. Or or to use the real analogy of, of awaking from sleep and coming into the light, lay off the bed clothes and put on your daytime clothes. Too many Christians walking through life with their nighttime clothes on. I was walking through an airport this week, actually running through an airport this week, and there was two ladies in front of me, and I I took a double take. You know, you see a lot of strange things in airports anyhow. But I took a double take that both of them were in their pajamas and their house shoes. Walked through the airport, I thought, that's comfortable. I mean, that's the way to travel right there. It's unnatural. May I say to you, there's too many of the children of light still wearing the nighttime clothes, and God says, lay that aside, and now put on the new man, put on the armor of light. Look at verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. Look down to verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be what? Put away from you with all malice. Put it away, put it away, put it away. Lay it aside. Turn over to Colossians just a second. Ephesians and Colossians are 20 epistles. They like railroad tracks side by side, moving in the same direction, have these parallel themes. Look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 8. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lying not one to another, seeing that you put off the old man with his deeds. And, verse 10, have put on the new man. Verse 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering. You know something that struck me today as I looked at these verses? When I'm up here talking about weights and sins, most people are thinking about terrible fleshly sins. I'm talking about gross immorality and awful things that should be laid aside. And yet, may I say to you that the most subtle and sometimes the most deceitful and destructive sins are not sins of the flesh. They are the sins of the spirit. And did you notice that in Ephesians and Colossians, he's dealing not with surface sins but spirit sins, Bitterness, unforgiveness, jealousy, envy, strife. People say they want to have revival. I wonder if they really do. Because when real revival comes, people't only have to get right with God, they have to get right with each other.'ll show it to you again, turn over to the book of James. We're headed back. I'll go over to James just for a second. Look at James chapter one, verse number 21. Same thought, same truth. Wherefore, James one twenty one, lay apart. That's another way of say, put it off, lay it aside. Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the encrafted word which is able to save your souls. He said, look, get rid of the weights and the sins and put in the word of God. That's the principle of replacement right there. He shows what should go out and what should come in. Uh, turn over a couple more pages to 1 Peter chapter 2. You'll see the same principle. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Do you see that in both James and Peter, there's this correlation between laying aside sin and taking in the word of God? You want to be clean? I'm going to tell you what I've discovered. I've discovered the difficult thing for me is not getting clean, it's staying clean. And there's only one way to stay clean, and that is every day I must lay aside what God by His Spirit tells me to lay aside. Look, keep short accounts of sin with God. Repentance is not an event, it's a way of life. And you live every day dealing with your sin in the presence of a holy God and living in His presence, and then every day you pour in the cleansing water of the Word of God. It is the only way to stay right with the Lord. What are we to lay aside? Weights and sins. And this expression that so easily beset us. So, what's your thing? Don't tell me I'm not your priest. What's your thing? Is it pride? Is it lust? Is it anger? Is it bitterness? Unforgiveness? What's your thing? Don't you think we've excused it long enough? Don't you think we've said, well, you know, that's that's just me, that's just me, long enough. And instead of looking at us, we ought to be looking at Christ and saying, Lord, I want everything in me that doesn't look like Jesus cut out of my life, and I want the image of Christ to be formed in me. Sever every tie, save the tie that binds me to thy cross. I love the great hymns of the faith. I love the stories behind so many of them. Robert Robinson went into a George Whitfield meeting one night, went there to make fun. He and some buddies. They sat on the back row and they were getting ready to laugh and cut up when the preacher preached. And Whitfield walked to the pulpit, opened his Bible, and took this as a text. Oh, generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? A holy hush fell over the place. Robert Robinson got under conviction. It's the first time he ever realized he was lost. He didn't get saved that night, but he went out under conviction. And in the space of a couple of years, he finally came to faith in Christ. And when God saved him, God changed him, he became a preacher. He wrote the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Powerful hymn, full of rich doctrinal truth. Here I raise mine Ebenezer. We, re- we sing that sometimes people say, Ebenezer? You mean like Scrooge? No, not like Scrooge. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. That's in the Bible. What some people don't know is Robert Robinson got away from God late in life. He got out of church, got backslidden, running from the Lord. How many of you know you can run from him, but he finds you? He came out and got on a stagecoach one day to travel on business to a neighboring town and sat down in the stagecoach. There was a nice, well-dressed woman seated across from him that he didn't recognize, and the stagecoach took off. This was before the radio days, so she started singing herself humming a little tune. Would you like to guess what song she was humming? Come thou found of every blessing. She got to that expression, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And she looked up, and the man across from her was weeping. She said, I'm sorry, mister. Do you not like my song? He said, Madam, I'm the man who wrote those words. Many years ago, and he said, I'd give a thousand worlds if I could feel now as I felt the day I wrote them. It was the means of him coming back to the Lord. We're all prone to wander. Do you feel it? Do you feel the weights and the sins that so easily beset you? Then that's the thing God wants you to lay aside. There's the second question. Write it down. Not only what, but the who. Who is supposed to lay it aside? And the answer is, if we all have them, we're all supposed to lay it aside. This is not just for the Bible writer. This was to those he was writing to. This is not just for the preacher. It's to every believer. May I tell you that all of us who want to move forward in our faith must choose to lay them aside. Do you want to grow? I mean, really, do you want to grow as a Christian? Or are you content where you are? Because if you're content where you are, you can live with the weights and sins. But if you want to grow, I mean, if you really want to take the next step with God and you want to discover all God has for you and you don't want to miss his plan and purpose in your life, then I say to you, the divine order is you must lay it aside if you will find all that God has for you. The who is me. Here's a third question. Would you write it down? It's why. Why must we lay them aside? And the answer, I think, must be obvious by now. But are you ready for it? It's the only way to move forward. It's the only way to move forward. Look, you're going to have enough obstacles on the outside. You don't need to be carrying any on the inside. And the runner may practice with the weights, but at some point he lays them aside. He removes every hindrance and encumbrance so that he can run and win the prize. And that's what the Bible writer is saying. If you want to finish in victory, then you must determine to lay aside everything that would keep you from that. And for the record, it's not just about you. See, the race we're in is a relay race. Somebody's coming along behind you. And God doesn't just want you to run. God wants you to pass the baton to somebody else, not pass weights and sins to the next generation. Listen to me. Your kids and grandkids don't need your besetting sins passed on in their life. What they need is an example of faith and the faithfulness of Almighty God. That's what they need. As a traveler, I learned early on that I could travel with much less than I thought I needed. We were talking about this this week, but I I rarely ever check a bag. I travel very light. And I have learned that some things don't matter. But every week I watch people in airports, and I hate to tell you I'm amused by it, but I'm amused by it. You know the ones. They're the ones carrying seven suitcases and I watch even sometimes people who are, who are trying to carry on, and, and they've overpacked, and they're, they're lugging it, and they're sweating profusely, and they're just, they're just trying to get through. Do you know what I've discovered in life? I've discovered that a lot of travelers in this world are that way. Like barnacles on a ship, they keep picking up stuff, picking up stuff that God never intended them to carry, that they don't have the grace to carry. And look, they're so weighted down with the luggage of life, they cannot run the race that God has for them. You want to run? Then you need to get rid of everything that's going to hold you back. One more thought tonight. When are you going to lay them aside? I mean, honestly, how long, how long have you been putting it off? How many years have we made excuse about that? May I tell you that the fourth point tonight, I can't give you anything right under it. I'm sorry. You're going to have to fill in the blanks. You'll have to decide. You'll have to determine when you're finally going to say, enough. It's enough. And like the psalmist, come to wit's end and throw your hands up and say, Lord, I, I, I'm not going to do this anymore. You know, I think when people get to that point, all of heaven must applaud. And the Lord must say, good, I've been waiting for you to get there a long time. When's it going to be Enough. When are you finally going to say, Lord, I'm giving this to you because I want to be the person you saved me to become? When? And as I studied this verse this week, I looked it up. Did you know that the the, the expression that's used here, laying aside, is literally a moment in time? It's like a point of action. It's not like it progressively happens and it eventually works its way out of your system. That's what we like to think. Well, you know, I'm doing a little better. Oh, no, wait a minute. Laying aside means it's a deliberate, definite moment of decision where we say, Lord, enough of this. This doesn't honor you. I'm giving this to you because I want everything you have for me. And I know there are people in this room perhaps who have failures and things, and even now the devil's like a club beating you over the head with it and saying, see, you really blew it, you really blew it. Yeah, we've all really blown it. And I want to remind you tonight that the God of all mercy has made a way so you can get right, so you can stay right, and so you can move on to the finish line if you're willing to lay it aside. John Stephen Aquari, from Tanzania was one of the fastest runners in his lifetime in the world. He went to the Olympics in Mexico City to run the marathon. He was fast, really fast. He was the favored in the race, and for most all of the marathon, he led. And then somewhere coming back into the city, out in front of the pack, John Stephen Aquari tripped over his own two feet. Nobody tripped him. Can't blame anybody else. He just fell down. And it was a terrible fall. When he fell, he terribly messed up one of his legs. It was bleeding profusely. and He couldn't run on it. He could barely walk on it. And for a little while, a little while, all the people there who were watching, they oohed and awed. You know how they have a little pity for a few minutes. And then, guess what they did? They moved right on with the rest of the pack as runner after runner passed him by. The chance of glory and gold was gone in a moment. (laughs) An hour, an hour after the winner crossed the line in the stadium in Mexico City, a man in excruciating pain, blood running down his leg, limped into that stadium. Most of the spectators were gone by now. and John Stephen Aquari, with everything in his being, pushed himself and collapsed across the finish line. A reporter was standing nearby, and he came over to him, and he said, Mr. Aquari, you knew you weren't going to win. Why on earth push yourself to finish? I mean... Why, why is this such a big deal? They said John Stephen Aquari struggled to his feet with the last ounce of energy. in His body stood as straight as he could and got right in that reporter's face and said these words, My country did not send me to Mexico City to start the race. They sent me to finish the race. And I want to say to every believer in the place tonight, God didn't save you so you could start the race. He saved you to finish the race. And now, by the grace of God, you must determine how you want to finish. Would you bow your head and close your eyes?